thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm really um, pleased that you guys have uh, reached out and asked for some more information um, about this. Um, so the I'm going to put up an outline in a minute and we're going to go pretty slowly through it, but please just um, do just um, put a message in the chat and Devin will pick it up or um, wave at me or just unmute and ask a question. Um, yeah. So a disclosures page, I'm afraid. Um, so my work was really kindly funded by the CF Trust, which is the main CF charity in the UK, and also by the Northwest Lung Centre in England. Um, I don't have any formal drug company disclosures. I do eat their, eat their sandwiches and drink their coffee um, when I'm at a big conference. Um, I'm employed by the NHS, so um, the pay structure is really different. I get paid an overall salary for my, for my job. It's not related to any specific work. I'm a rheumatologist, but I'm not your rheumatologist, and that means I can't give specific advice to you. I'm also not a CF doctor, and I don't work in the US. And please do tell me to slow down if you're struggling with my accent. So um, this is what we're gonna chat through today. I hope some of it's helpful. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about how I got here, because I think that might explain a little bit about the approach that I'm taking to this. Um, what is cystic fibrosis associated arthritis? What is not cystic fibrosis associated arthritis, but we still need to pay attention to? A bit about exercising with CF uh, when your joints are sore, a bit about treatment, and thinking a little bit about when you should seek a rheumatology opinion, who else might be helpful. So you've invited a rheumatologist to speak. <laughs> Um, and certainly I am still at a stage where I go to a CF conference and chat, you know, get a cup of coffee and somebody says, oh, do you know, where have you come from? And I say, oh, I was working in Manchester. I'm now back working in Glasgow. I'm a rheumatologist. So they go, what are you doing here? Um, so I have a medical degree. Um, I did two years of general training, which included a little bit of cystic fibrosis. That was mostly inpatient cystic fibrosis and a little bit in pediatrics. Um, I then did two years of internal medicine training and three years of rheumatology training with internal medicine. And at that point, that took us to February 2017, and I paused my training to do a PhD with the Manchester Adult CF Centre because they were looking for somebody interested in running a project looking at CF-associated arthritis. Um, I finished my PhD and graduated this year, and so I'm now at a stage where I'm picking up a like my final, like fully grown up job, I guess. Um, so um, I, this slide actually I first put in when I was speaking to some physios because it became apparent that actually lots of people don't know what I do for my job. Um, I, we look after people with immune mediated chronic inflammatory disease. So we look after inflammatory arthritis, and that encompasses things like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, vasculitis, which is inflammation of blood vessels, connective tissue disease, so that's things like lupus, and sometimes metabolic bone disease, so that's things like osteoporosis. So a really wide range of organs involved. Um, and I guess one of the things that became apparent working with um, 
CF is that means I sometimes approach things a little bit differently to people who've trained in respiratory primarily. So inflammatory arthritis is inflammation of the lining of the joint and we've got a picture of that in a minute. We see it in a whole variety of conditions, most of which actually are not just about joints. So whilst with something like osteoarthritis, and I know we've had um, some chat already with a number of you about osteoarthritis, osteoarthritis does appear to be primarily about joints, but things like rheumatoid arthritis also affects your lungs and your skin. Psoriatic arthritis can affect your skin and your bowel. Inflammatory bowel disease associated arthritis definitely affects your bowel. Ankylosing spondylitis can affect all sorts of, of things. Um, and of course, CF associated arthritis, CF, of course, affects lots of other things. So we're really, can you see my arrow there? Yeah. So in inflammatory arthritis, what we're really looking at is this bit here. This is the synovium of the joint. So um, what happens is this gets inflamed and swells up and makes extra fluid and stops reabsorbing as much fluid. So then the joint gets swollen. Um, in lots of forms of inflammatory arthritis, that, that inflammation then begins to eat away at the cartilage and at the bone sometimes. You can see that we've got lots of other things going on around a joint as well. So um, it's always important not just to consider the joint by itself, but also things like the muscles and um, the tendons and where the tendons join on, because think this is called an anthesis where the tendon joins onto the bone and that can get inflamed as well. Ligaments can obviously be a problem. Um, as can bones. Bones are rarely painful in themselves unless you break them, but there's a couple of exceptions to that, some of which are relevant in CF, particularly hypertrophic osteoarthropathy. If we think about why people who have cystic fibrosis might get an inflammatory arthritis, there's a whole variety of reasons that that might happen. Um, and I really, I really like these cartoons from Beatrice, the biologist. Um, I think um, this is pulling on what I know from things like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis and the other information that we have from other diseases about what affects whether a joint gets inflamed or not. And we know that DNA itself, so your genes, but also epigenetics, so the things that affect which bits of your genes get expressed. Um, can cause major issues. And obviously you guys are very well acquainted with that, but certainly in terms of joints as well, that can be a player. In CF, we know that your microbiome is massively different. And that's true in terms of things like your oral microbiome. So what bugs live normally in your mouth and are part of your normal oral health. Um, what bugs live in your lungs and a lot of them we know are different in CF or very different in very different quantities. Um, and cause lots of problems, but also the, uh, the bugs that live in your gut and on your skin seem to affect quite a lot how your immune system responds to things. And if we give you, for example, steroids, or you have higher blood sugar levels, or you uh, take lots of antibiotics, um, or your mucus layer in your gut changes, those are all going to affect your microbiome. So we've got lots of potentials there for that being a player here in CF. The other possibility is that um, we've got some autoimmune things at play and we know that the immune system in CF responds a little bit differently 
um, to a whole host of things than we would expect it to in somebody who doesn't have CF. Um, it makes quite a lot of what we call autoantibodies and the vast majority of them don't seem to be clinically important. Um, so separating out actual autoimmune disorders from mm, you've got a blood test and it doesn't seem to quite match up with what we're seeing clinically can be much more difficult in CF. So this is just another kind of version of that same message. We know that the CFTR itself can impact things within the lungs, particularly infection and the um, like polysaccharide with the toll-like receptor 4 is a particular interaction that we know can cause problems in rheumatoid and is um, certainly present in CF. Microbiome changes in both your lung and your gut. I'm going to put the rest of those in. Also know that there's um, quite a lot of work going on, some in Leeds and some in Germany at the moment, to do with the unfolded protein response. And this is um, in CF to do with what does this cell do with all of the CFTR um, that doesn't work. So you've got genes that code for CFTR channels. Um, some of you, it won't actually make a protein that works at all. Some of you, it'll make a protein that works a really little bit. Um, but then it got to your the cell has to then recycle all of that protein that it hasn't made as it should have done. And that can cause some cell stress, which again comes back to quite significantly impacting inflammatory levels. And in this case, we're talking about that resulting in joint inflammation. So a bit of background. Um, these are the two oldest papers that we've got mentioning, um, mentioning arthritis in people with cystic fibrosis. Um, the bottom paper here is actually from a unit that I worked in quite a bit during my rheumatology training. Um, I think it's a really interesting patient, a really interesting paper. It's from the 1970s. Um, they describe a, a group of patients who have bronchiectasis or cystic fibrosis. Um, so um, their initial thought was that this looked like rheumatoid arthritis in other patients who had bronchiectasis and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and then we get a paper out the next year, I think, from um, Newman and Ansel in England. And uh, this is Barbara Ansel, who has the best eyebrows. Um, they then, so this, this is actually, this is in kind of late teens and early adults. This is children that they're talking about here. Um, and they're talking about a slightly different pattern of arthritis here. They're talking about episodes of arthritis that then completely resolve, which is not really what they've talked about here. So already two papers in, we've got two very different pictures emerging. So this term CFA starts being used in 1987. Some papers say that you can't have it unless you've got more than four joints involved, but other papers say that that's not true. And um, quite often the alternate diagnosis that's mentioned is hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, um, which is one of the few things that does cause painful bones. And it's an inflammation of the layer on the outside of the bone, which causes uh, swelling particularly knees and wrists, and quite often associated with uh, flares of lung disease. Some papers say that people get a rash with it. 
Some people say it's associated with chest disease and some people say it's not. And in 2003, we get this really interesting remark in a paper that says, I think we're labeling people with CFA when they might have rheumatoid. I think this is a really important mark that has been made here because quite often uh, we're taking a group of people who in the 70s, it was unusual to live to 20. We didn't, there wasn't a lot of focus on anything outside of lungs and gut. Um, and uh, people kind of thought like, if you've already got CF, like how unlucky would you be to get rheumatoid? Like surely that's not the case. But actually, unfortunately having one thing doesn't stop you getting anything else. So it's really important that we make sure we know what we're treating. This definition is actually from 1992 and a whole PhD later, I don't think I've improved on it. <laughs> um, this is the working definition from Patuisa et al um, and says features of articulate inflammation. So we've got um, evidence that there's inflammation in the joint. Um, it is painful and swollen. And for, for me, so they wouldn't have done this, but for me, when I image it, I can see inflammation in the joint. We know that there's not an infection inside the joint. And that's really important because septic arthritis um, is uh, serious and needs to be treated very differently. And people who have things like diabetes are at higher risk of a septic arthritis. Absence of periostitis on radiographs. So this is talking about getting plain x-rays and looking for that thing called hypertrophic osteoarthropathy that I mentioned a minute ago. And that's that lining of the, that um, layer around the outside of the bone, the periosteum gets inflamed. And you can often see that on a plain X-ray. Um, I suspect that you can see it on, a, on ultrasound as well, um, but there isn't any good reference for me to refer to from the pictures. The only pictures that I think I have of it are pictures that I have taken. Um, and absence of another cause of arthritis after evaluation. So, you need to see somebody who's used to looking after joints and says, yeah, this doesn't fit in any of my other boxes and you've got CF. So let's work with this being CFA at the moment. So I think that is the most useful definition of this that we have. Um, we we'll quite often talk about differential diagnosis in medicine. So this is, let's make a list of all the things that this could possibly be. And it's really important that we don't get like fixated on this being one particular thing, because then if another piece of the puzzle comes into play, we might not interpret it appropriately. So hypertrophic osteoarthropathy is frequently used as the main player in older papers. Um, when I joined the Manchester unit, I was talking to my boss about this and he said, oh, we don't see it anymore. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, yeah, we don't like, no, we absolutely, never, 100% not. I found three patients by the end of, his, of my PhD who definitely had this. So it's to do with, are you looking for things is really important. Swollen joints in the con context of lung disease, which shows on plain x-ray. So this is, this is what the hypertrophic osteoarthropathy is, but it could also be a non-CF related inflammatory arthritis. So we've seen some of those mentioned earlier. That's things like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. 
The other possibility is that it might not be inflammatory. And there are all sorts of things that mean that um, joints might be painful in CF that are not inflammatory. So they're not going to respond to the same sorts of treatments, but we need to identify them and make a treatment plan for what they are. So why might people with CF get sore joints? It's a really tiny part of the story. The vast majority of people with CF do not have CFA. And I feel quite strongly about that because I think if we start labeling anybody with a sore joint and CF as having CFA, we're stopping them getting the treatment that they need. Um, there's a paper out in Germany in maybe 2018, 2019, that very much took the uh, view that if you have CF and a sore joint, it's because of CFA. And I, I very strongly disagree with them. And I think we are stopping people getting the treatment that they need. So here's a list of reasons that I think somebody with CF might have sore joints. There's a lot of them. There might be things like sports injuries, poor muscle function, and we'll talk about that again in a minute. CF-related postural changes can cause lots of problems um, with musculoskeletal pain. Symptomatic hypermobility. So I think you've mentioned a friend who had a um, Devin who uh, has some hypermobility as part of a syndrome. But we know that if your muscles aren't working as well and you are hypermobile, you're much more likely to have symptoms from it. We mentioned osteoarthritis a little bit already. You might have a fracture. Fibromyalgia and chronic pain are really interesting to think about. Um, I think they are probably underdiagnosed in CF and that is based on how much of them I see in people with other inflammatory chronic diseases elsewhere. Um, we know that fibromyalgia um, has, is a word that's been used really to cover all sorts of things and quite often to dismiss people and be like, I don't want to deal with your problems. In fact, it has quite a specific set of symptoms and sleep disruption is a really key player. So almost anybody, if you take them and disrupt their sleep enough, they will become sore. Some people seem to be more prone to that than others, but we know that in people with rheumatoid arthritis, about a third of people also have some pain that is induced by their sleep disruption because they're sore, their sleep gets disrupted because their sleep is disrupted. They then get some additional pain that doesn't seem to be directly related to their rheumatoid. Um, people with CF are up at night coughing, managing overnight feeds, um, managing diabetes overnight, um, worrying about things, all the normal things that would stop you sleeping. Um, so really important to think about all the other things that impact pain. Septic arthritis I've mentioned briefly already. And the ones that are in red here are there, um, are in red to distinguish them as things that would only associate, we would only associate with children. Um, so Perth's disease, such upper femoral epiphyses and juvenile idiopathic arthritis, we really only see under the age of 16. Obviously having CF doesn't mean that you aren't going to get those things. Osteomalacia is um, generalized pain caused by a low vitamin D level. And we know that if you, um, don't significantly supplement vitamin D in CF, then you definitely have low levels. Um, so osteomalacia is a really common cause of pain in people who, for whatever reason, are not managing to take their vitamin D. Then got a group over here of um, 
inflammatory arthritis. And as I say, uh, having CF unfortunately doesn't stop you getting anything else. Gout is an episodic problem. And um, I've already had a chat with one of you about the fact that actually um, gout can cause problems in the context of other disease, particularly thinking about renal disease. Hypertrophic pulmonary osteoarthropathy, sarcoid. I've seen a couple of cases of sarcoid. Um, I know Liverpool have a couple. Calcific tendonitis or frozen shoulder is often associated with diabetes. And the shoulder surgeon in Manchester feels that the shoulders that he, end up, he ends up seeing from the CF unit, even in people who don't have a formal diagnosis of diabetes or aren't needing insulin, they look much more like people who've had diabetes for a long time than like shoulders of people who don't have diabetes. So there's a whole bunch. This is not a straightforward thing to think about. If you are sore, it needs to get properly thought about um, rather than rushing into anything. So if we think about CF, I guess the bits that I'm particularly interested in are all the information things, but particularly thinking about osteoporosis, thinking about arthritis, thinking about changes in inflammatory response. Proximal muscle weakness is a huge issue um, and that it's almost certainly multifactorial. Um, so steroids are really bad for your proximal muscles. Inflammatory burden is really bad for your proximal muscles. Um, Diabetes is bad for your proximal muscles and CFTR seems to be expressed itself in muscle um, and may have a direct impact as well. So some really interesting work from Owen Tomlinson in Exeter going on about that at the moment. Um, these muscles here, your thigh muscles, are really important for looking after your knees. If these muscles are not doing their job, your knees are likely to be sore. As you've just seen, there's an absolute ton of reasons why they might not be able to do their job as they would normally. So I saw a lot of knee pain, and I think that there's a whole other, a whole other research project there looking at knee pain in people with CF and what we can do to improve that. Um, this is a slide that I've added in two minutes ago, to, or just before we started. Um, thinking a little bit about what we call osteosarcopenia. So this is a new word to everybody. Um, I think I first heard of it maybe 2017. I'm just trying to see when this paper is. I haven't put it, sorry. Um, and this is going to be really key as, the, as people with CF get older. We used to think of bones as relatively inert. We now know that they are really pretty active in terms of producing chemicals that speak to other bits of your body. So in this case, we're talking about the crosstalk between muscles and bones. And if we look at the things that are impacting both of those at the top here, physical inactivity, so being stuck in bed because you're so sick, having low vitamin D and calcium, steroids, Inflammaging is a really important one here. So this is thinking about the inflammatory burden and what that does directly to bones and muscles. Hormone imbalance. So we know that um, being hypogonadal, so either being amenorrheic, having no periods at a point when you would expect a woman of, of that age to have periods or having a low testosterone level um, is, a, is a problem in the CF community. Um, and it, it hugely impacts both muscles and bones. 
we've got things over here like low protein intake. I know you all have lots of input from the dietitians, um, but thinking about other comorbidities as well, and things like diabetes play into this too. The good thing here is that if you can improve one side of this, you improve the other side of this. So the more we think about things like resistance exercise and improving your muscle strength, it is doing more than we used to think about your bones and keeping your bones as strong as possible. I'm not here to talk really about osteoporosis today. I know that you'll have had lots of other stuff in the past about low bone mineral density. Um, but I, I think this set of work going on is really interesting from a CF point of view. These are some comments from uh, I'm actually going to pause there a minute. Are there any questions that we want to take right at the moment? Or will I just keep going? I think you can keep going, but I have some, um, I have like a list, a running list. Cool. So. Okay, grand. <laughs> um, so the next section is thinking about pain, exercise and joints. Um, we did a questionnaire looking at um, uh, joint pain and back pain in people with CF. Um, so this was done across the Leeds Centre and the Manchester Centre. Um, so we have over 400 responses to this questionnaire. It's all adults. Um, and one thing at the bottom that I put in was some free space for people to write anything that they wanted to share about this. Um, and a couple of things that came up were it's uncomfortable, it affects my normal everyday activities. I ate more following exercise and this issue around it's stopping me doing the things I need to do to keep me well otherwise. Um, so this is a Twitter contact that I have who actually does live in the States. Um, I thought she was an interesting person to ask, not because she has CF, but because she deals with both diabetes and an inflammatory arthritis. So I thought she'd be an interesting person to ask and is uh, you know, a very active patient advocate. Um, I thought she'd be a really interesting person to ask about what um, she found useful, because um, the people that live with these things are always more useful to ask than the physicians. Um, and so she said, um, some through her physicians, but also a lot through trial and error. Her top things were to think about strength training. So the stronger her muscles are, the less the impact is on her joints. But actually rest is really important as well. Sometimes doing gentle biking, yoga, or stretching in the place of a cardio workout if joints are flaring. We'll talk again about that in a minute because I know um, cardiovascular exercise is really important um, in CF. So we'll talk about that again in a minute. Um, she uses padded workout gloves and um, compression pants and socks to support joints and make exercising a bit less painful. One of the problems here is that deconditioning worsens pain. So you get, it's really easy to get into this cycle where your joints are really sore. So you have to do less because you're sore. So your muscles get a bit weaker and then your joints feel a bit more unstable 
and it's more sore when you're moving. So you go round and you have to be even less active. And that can be a really difficult circle to break out of. And it can take a lot of support and a really, lot of really scaling things back and taking things up really gradually. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about pain next and we'll come back to exercise. Um, this is the way that I encourage, um, so this is particularly aimed at physios, but the way that I would encourage them to think about assessing pain informally. And I think it can be useful if you're going, if you're planning to say to your healthcare team, um, I'm at, actually, this is a problem. I need you to understand that this is a problem. Um, thinking about which things it is impacting in your life. So what's it stopping you doing? Is it stopping you doing your treatments because actually your hands are so sore that you can't put a nebulizer together? Um, is it stopping you doing your other activities of daily living so difficult to hold your toothbrush or get your coffee in the morning? Is it stopping you socializing because that's a really important part of being you as well? Is it getting you down? or making you grumpy with people? Is it stopping you sleeping? The other thing to think about is, does it worry you about something specific? So if you stop and think, why am I worried about this particular pain? Are you worried that you're doing damage by continuing to use that joint? Are you worried that this is something more serious underlying it? Um, are you worried that you're not going to be able to do something tomorrow? And identifying that worry can be really useful in terms of going forwards. This is a quote from somebody called Charlotte, um, who has, um, my hunch is that Charlotte ha actually had um, psoriatic arthritis. Her mum had really bad psoriatic arthritis. Charlotte had CF um, and definitely had an inflammatory arthritis and really difficult to say whether it was CFA or psoriatic. So when I spoke to her, she said things, really simple things, getting my hair done, fastening buttons on clothes and shoes, her main form of cardiovascular exercise was walking her dogs. And actually she reached a point where her knees were restricting that rather than her lungs restricting that. And the first time that I ever met Charlotte, she was waiting to get some IVs to take home with her. And I took one look at her hands and said, how are you gonna manage that? <laughs> and she said, my mum does them for me for the first couple of days because my hands are too sore. Although my mum has psoriatic arthritis, so she finds it difficult too. Charlotte clearly had a worsening of her joints at the point at which her chest was bad, but they were actually bad all the time. And the team that she was with were under the impression that they were only really bad when her chest was bad because she didn't tend to tell them when anything else was bad unless her chest was also bad. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's really interesting if you ask people very specifically, are they bad at other times when your chest is fine? A lot of patients will say, yes, I also have other times when they're bad, but my team don't know about that because they, I only see them if my chest is bad. So if we think about treatment, it needs to be multidisciplinary. It needs to address the underlying issue whenever possible. And the, we really need to be supporting and enabling other treatments and daily activities and just being yourself as the aim of what we're doing with treatment. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about non-pharmacological options. These might be things that you've come across already. Um, exercise that uses other joints. So if your knee or your ankle is really badly swollen, um, doing um, you can get your heart rate up and your respiratory rate up quite a lot just using your arms. And that might be a, um, like a tabletop bike with your hands, but it might be a whole bunch of other things as well. If your arms are bad, do something with your legs instead. Um, removing the weight-bearing element can be useful. So swimming is really useful for some people. If you are really sore, getting to wherever the pool is, getting changed, um, by the time you've got changed, you're pretty much done anyway. So just being really aware of your energy levels and your pain levels when you're thinking about things like going swimming. Um, I guess it's more common in the States in summer to have pools that you like pitch up already in your swimming, swimming costume and stuff, um, but not really in this country. Um, think about exercise um, adaptions that remove a specific issue. So if you're wanting to add some weights in using things like wrist weights or ankle weights that strap around your wrist rather than you having to grip something. So if your thumbs are bad, your MCPs are bad in here, taking that element of the exercise out and adding the weight in here can be really useful for some people. Splinting joints during exercise can also be useful. So things like wrist splints um, can, be, can be really useful to just reduce that, that impact a little bit. The other thing is to think about spending time on very specific muscle groups. So I mentioned knees earlier. Um, I find it, I found it really, really interesting how many people with CF I saw who were generally active, maybe going for a run, playing hockey, that kind of thing. And yet when I asked them to do a straight leg raise, so lie on your back on the bed, keep your legs straight and lift it up off the bed, you could see their muscles working really hard. And I think lots of people with CF, um, you're all really good at getting around things. <laughs> You've had so many things to deal with that both you and your bodies are really good at just adapting and finding another way of dealing with stuff. So it might be that even though you think, well, I go running or I go cycling, like why would I have to work on my quads muscles? Actually, the quads muscles might still need some very specific attention, specifically um, outside of more general exercise um, to get them to a stage where they can adequately support your knees to do other things. Thinking about pacing and rest days, thinking about hot or cold. So that could be um, ice packs, it could be heat packs, it could be gels that heat or feel cold. And those can be before, during or after exercise. Um, so thinking about getting yourself in the best position possible before you're doing something. Um, and I think one of the important things here is, you know, that might be going shopping. <laughs> thinking about heat or cold, something that you can take with you that's gonna you know, warm your hands up when you're out shopping and your hands have stiffened up because they've got cold, um, something you can put on your knee when you're partway around the shops, that kind of thing. So I said earlier, I've avoided talking about opiates in this discussion. We can talk about opiates later if you would like to, uh, but I haven't put anything on the slides about them. Thinking about taking analgesia before you do exercise can be really useful. So, and this goes back a little bit to the worries, like what are you worried about? Are you worried that because your knee is sore, if you exercise, you're going to cause damage? 
If your knee is twice the size it should be, I agree, please don't exercise that knee. If it is sore, but not massively swollen, you're almost certainly completely safe to continue exercising on it unless you've, I don't know, dropped something massive on it and broken it. Um, get the analgesia to work for you rather than the other way around. Use it as an enabler to do the activities you would like to be doing. NSAIDs are really useful. So this is things like ibuprofen, naproxen, um, etodilac. There's a whole variety of options and certainly the CF team that I worked with started being like, Beth, do you, you just come up with a new one of these every week? And I was like, no, no, guys, these have been around for a long time. It's <laughs> just that you don't use them in CF. Um, finding the right one for people can be a little bit difficult. And obviously there are in some people reasons that you can't take them at all. If you've been told that you can't take them at all, it's worth checking in with your team about why that is so that you know um, whether you're safe to use some of the topical ones instead. Um, things like paracetamol, it's not gonna fix everything. It's going to take the very edge off of something and you taking it before you do the exercise might be useful. Things like NSAIDs and paracetamol are useful in people who don't want to take analgesia on a regular basis. And neither of these are addictive. Now, obviously there are situations where these are not even going to begin to cut it. I don't want to pretend that that's not true, um, but as a real baseline, I think starting out with these things um, can be useful depending on what, what point you're at. The other thing is think about lidocaine patches for point tenderness. I just wanted to jump in. Some uh, Maggie mentioned in the chat that paracetamol is what we call in the States, Tylenol, I think. Is oh, that right? Okay. Yeah, it's a close, they have like one or two ingredient differences, but for the most part, it's okay. the same in terms of it's not an NSAID. And so it doesn't work on the inflammatory response. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Um, Disease modifying antirheumatic drugs. And I know um, somebody's already asked me about Humira, which is a, what we call a biologic DMARD. Um, these are only going to help if the underlying problem is an inflammatory arthritis. And this is one of the reasons that it's really important that we don't just label everything CFA. We really have a good idea of what is going on with that individual patient in that individual setting. Um, they are a long-term treatment. They are not a short-term fix. Um, so starting on one isn't going to fix anything quickly. Um, and you quite often need other things in the meantime to get you through. I'm very happy to chat a bit more about these. Um, I've got one more slide on them uh, in a bit, but um, I haven't, I very specifically haven't put on lots of details about them. This is the other slide about them and think about immunosuppression. So again, only useful in people who have inflammation in their joints that is causing the pain. Um, are they safe? So whilst we think about um, hydroxychloroquine and sulfasalazine, um, which are both disease-modifying drugs that are immunomodulatory rather than immunosuppressive, um, can both be used. Although I would say it is relatively uncommon to get prescribed sulfasalazine in the US um, for some slightly bizarre historical reasons, some of which are tied up with the insurance system. It's cheap. Um, it, they, yeah, the insurance companies don't want you on cheap stuff. Some of that is the issue, but it's also an issue to do with the way the order in which medications have appeared. 
Um, but the vast majority of the other disease modifying drugs that we use are immunosuppressive. We don't have a lot of data. There's a couple of case reports of people um, taking anti-TNF medications. So that's things like Humira. Um, and those case reports suggest that people have done well. Um, publication bias means doctors like to tell the world in general via a medical journal when things have gone well, and they do not like to tell them when things go badly. So we don't know how many cases things have been tried in and not published, either because they didn't want to publish it, or they were too busy to publish it, or because things went badly and they thought they maybe shouldn't publicize that. They're also very small numbers. Um, there's some data from people who are post-transplant for CF liver disease. So people who've had a CF liver, uh, a liver transplant, but still have their CF lungs. So there's still a, a very similar risk from infection in terms of their lungs. And they cope with immunosuppression incredibly well. They really do very well. Um, and it's similar levels of immunosuppression with some of the medications that we're talking about. So that's really reassuring. There's also these two other groups associated with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so there's rheumatoid bronchiectasis and rheumatoid interstitial lung disease. So both of these groups of people are at higher risk of lung infections. Um, the bronchiectasis group, as you might imagine, are prone to having some of the similar bugs in their lungs that you might have in CF. Um, although it does seem to act quite differently from an immunological point of view. And again, this is pulling from a different patient group. This is useful in terms of that DMARD did better than that DMARD in terms of lung infections in people who have underlying lung disease. What it doesn't tell us is anything specific about CF, but it's, there's so little evidence. I think we really need to pull on all the bits that we can to try and get as good a picture before starting anything particular. Do lung exacerbations impact CF-related arthritis? I think this is one of the questions that you sent me, um, and the answer is sometimes. <laughs> um, people who have hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, almost always. People who have CF-related arthritis quite often experience that their joints are worse during flares, but also experience that they can be bad at other times when their chests are completely fine. Um, the other things, unassociated with CF-associated arthritis specifically is that being less well overall and having an increased inf inflammation response directly affects your muscles and can increase joint, uh, joint pain. Um, diabetes, again, I think all will be aware that if you've got an infection on board and you've got diabetes, um, it, that, that can muck things up a bit. Um, and it definitely affects joints, particularly things like um, calcific tendonitis or frozen shoulder are more common. So I would expect number of lung exacerbations to affect that because it will affect the diabetes. There isn't any data at all on how gut disease in CF affects joint disease, but I would be really surprised if it didn't. This is a really busy slide, I'm really sorry. Um, I do not work in the US. <laughs> um, I contacted somebody that I know from Twitter, um, to say, could he help with um, thinking about seeking care? Um, so this is specifically thinking about seeking rheumatology care. And if you have swollen joints, 
or you are stiff in the morning when you get up for more than 30 minutes, I would want you to be thinking about seeing a rheumatologist. And the first thing that he said, I'm really glad he said, because I was kind of hoping that he would, this would work the same in the, in the US. And that's that most academic centers have rheumatologists who are interested in lung disease. So we're back to those patients with rheumatoid bronchiectasis and rheumatoid ILD. They are used to prescribing medications in people who have lung disease and are at higher risk of um, infection. They are most likely to be familiar with CF-associated arthritis, but that doesn't mean that they will be familiar with this, but this is definitely still evidence light and experience light as an area. But having somebody who looks after other lung patients I think carries a little bit of reassurance with it as much as it possibly can. The next thing he said was about how fragmented the care system is in the US and it's really important to get your um, care providers to communicate with each other. Um, certainly one of the papers that reported a patient getting put on an anti-TNF medication, which might have been Humira, um, the CF team was unaware that the rheumatologist had commenced <laughs> Humira um, until uh, their lung function actually got a bit better. And then said, has anything changed? Um, so thankfully that worked out well rather than badly, but it could so easily have gone badly. Um, the other thing that he mentioned was that um, it's important that if you're getting some bloods done one place and maybe getting a bit of information from them, it's really important that you don't get a set of blood tests back and immediately panic because you come back positive for an autoantibody, particularly for things like rheumatoid. Um, the blood tests that we have in uh, rheumatology, almost none of them give us a whole picture. Um, and we know that the immune system in CF makes more um, autoantibodies than it might do otherwise. Um, it, interestingly, in, in non-CF bronchiectasis, they seem to make um, something called anti-CCP antibodies, which are very closely associated with CF. Almost no CF patients make them, um, which I find really interesting. Um, most other people don't. Um, so, um, and he was saying again, it's really important to think about whether there is inflammation in the joint itself before we immunosuppress people. So a huge thanks to jo uh, Jeff Sparks for that. Um, thinking about who else might help, physios are great. Um, obviously some CF centers have people with more MSK experience than others, but I imagine that any physio can put you in touch with an MSK physio, uh, musculoskeletal physio if you need to. They can help with adapting exercise plans and seeking further help or identifying when you see a rheumatologist. Occupational therapists are also brilliant and they're good at adapting stuff so that you can continue to do the things that you would like to be doing. Orthopedics are helpful for really specific issues. So things like recurrent frozen shoulder or if a joint needs replaced for some reason. Um, they wouldn't generally be my first port of call, um, but if you've got much easier access to one of them, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad call. The reason that I reached out to Dr. Sparks instead of anybody else that I knew from Twitter is I'd come across a paper that I wanted that I couldn't access, so I messaged him and he sent me a copy of it. My current paper is behind a paywall. 
but you guys can always email authors to ask for a copy. They might say no, but honestly, the vast majority of us say yes. Papers like this are always written with healthcare professionals as the intended audience, but you're welcome to read them and discuss them with your team. So if you're wanting more information or something to take along and you want a copy of things, let people know. Take home messages. If you have joint pain, it needs assessment by somebody who normally looks after joints, and that is probably not a respiratory doctor, a pulmonologist. It might be a physio to start with, and you might need some rheumatology input. And that again is early morning stiffness, more than 30 minutes, want to see a rheumatologist, and uh, swollen joints, see a rheumatologist. The vast majority of joint pain in people who have CF is not CFA and most of it does not need immunosuppression, but it does need looking after. Good coordination of care is vital and pain, it really matters. It impacts so much and we really need to think about it in a whole person way rather than just jumping in with a medication that might fix things because probably won't if we haven't thought about it. Um, so lots of thanks to my supervisors. Um, so I have a mixture of uh, CF doctors and rheumatologists there. Our CF musculoskeletal physios in Manchester are amazing. Um, the CF teams in Leeds and Manchester, so I worked on both sites. Um, Charlotte, who gave a quote and specifically said that I could use it and put her name on it, but also to the other patients who've contributed to this and to all the rest of my work as well. People gave so generously of their time and their stories. Um, CF Trust for funding it and to Jeff Sparks for that bit of help that he gave us with the US system. 